Welcome to this special episode of the Infosys Knowledge Institute podcast, Brilliant Basics Edition, where we talk about the future of work and digital disruption. Today, I'm delighted to welcome my colleague Noor Karadenis as our head of experience and system design at Brilliant Basics. The topic today is system design. Thanks for having me, Anand. You are a long-term veteran of Brilliant Basics. We worked together back in 2013. Why don't you talk about yourself, what you've been up to, and then we'll dig deep into the topic of today. My academic background is heavy on technology. I studied computer science and human-computer interaction design. For the last three years, I've been working in more service and system-driven projects and, and areas. I spent a good time in Dublin in, uh, in the Innovation Centre from Accenture Fjord, and that's where we kind of delve deeper in systems. That is so exciting, and I think you're the lighthouse for a lot of people listening about how to bring computer science, technology, and design together. So Noor, you've joined us. Uh, your background is absolutely amazing. The industry is becoming more design-led and any articles, any publication, any CEOs talking about customer centricity, design centricity in the organization. The design has evolved dramatically as well from classical design to design thinking to system design and computational design. Just for our listeners, I would love for you to define what do you mean by system design? It's an experimental definition, I would call it. It, because it is evolving, because the challenges are changing that we are trying to solve. System design, the area that we've been practicing, it's really look to work with the entire systems components. So if we think about design thinking and systems thinking, come together. So these are two worlds and they're designers now not only working on the interface, but also working on um, behind the scene, always like the background of how things work. Are there any efficient way of doing these processes and partnering with other groups or how the background of the organization work? It basically changes the nature of how uh, maybe traditionally we approach design, but in maybe like a one tweetable definition would be, yes, let's bring design thinking and systems thinking together and to map out more smart and efficient systems. And just again, because I'm also learning through this conversation, I'm sure our listeners are also learning through this conversation. When you say systems, right, let's kind of give a bit of an analogical example here. Let's take the example of an iceberg, right? So iceberg has, you know, what's above the water and what's below the water. And what I'm hearing from you is there's a need for both to be understood properly. And there's a role for systems in making the iceberg above the water much more valuable from a customer perspective, from employee perspective. Have I have I got this right? I would love for you to take this analogy forward and start to define it for our listeners. Yeah, I love iceberg example because it's really to um, kind of resonate what we are talking about. So if you think about the top part of the iceberg being the interface of a system, so that's services and that's where people actually interact with a service. That's where people perceive how the service or how an experience is actually quite smart, quite intelligent. So this is the kind of new expectation, right? What do we mean by system design? Everything that happens, you know, underneath that surface. Because if you think about different 
parts of the systems, the processes and partnerships and everything happens at that level. So this is where one of the challenges that we often come across. Where is the boundaries of a system? What is this system? We're talking about a complexity of a system, but the boundaries can go as far as the sky, the climate change. So anything, everything that system can interrelate it. That's what we mean by system. That is really interesting. But systems can't be dumb, right? They have to be intelligent systems. Now, intelligent systems in isolation could become dumb when you look at an issue like sustainability or, you know, transparency, for example. And we were talking about last week about how these bigger issues are becoming purpose for large companies to operate with, right? So what I'm hearing from you, Noor, is the systems and intelligence and the purpose and the values can be combined together with the system design mindset and thinking. Have I got this right? Uh, yes, you hint into um, sustainability and intelligent systems. So this is really key for really tackling um, system design and trying to solve complex problems. So I want to give one maybe description on intelligent systems. So how systems can be intelligent. If we think about intelligence in a way that it requires a body, it requires a mind, and it requires an environment. If we take that metaphor and apply it to a system, for a system to function intelligently, learn patterns, you know, learn kind of how they how the system's going to use data over the time, even collaborate with people, how AI is going to help and not, you know. Um, so all these kind of defines like what do we mean by intelligent systems? But at the same time, so we, we want system to behave in a way that these behaviors, it's got consequences, right? Do we want system to be sustainable? Do we want system to see certain things and not to see other certain things? Because if we leave everything to technology, then it's very, I would say, almost dangerous because that's not design-led. So, so I think what you're saying is that it's about the people who are even looking at the system. You're changing the definition and the roles of those people looking at the system because they're thinking with a different mindset than hey, I've got this technology and that this does A to B. How exciting is that? And I want to talk a little bit more about that, Noor. With regards to, you know, for our listeners, what are the some kind of key differences that you see, you know, in terms of what happens in design thinking and what happens in system thinking? Clearly, there's a need for both, but the perspectives are different from what I'm kind of hearing from you. Would you elaborate on that? Definitely. It's another important um, point that um, a lot of designers actually raise this question. First of all, with system design, we're not really moving away from user-centered design. So it's still user-centered. It always starts with users at the heart of, of the problem. So therefore, design thinking is not, you know, is core and is fundamental. And a lot of learnings from how we apply design thinking, it actually applies to system design. So that makes designers is a, in a perfect position to, you know, practice and apply systems design. Yeah, that's very good. There are really good skills to do. But at the same time, if you think about only design thinking, it you know, heavily focuses on user and it becomes more solution oriented that these users are raising. But if we think about that systems, the conversation that they can be complex, they can be chunky, they can have like hundreds of different variables, then the users need it become one of the variable so this is where systems thinking more strategic more service designy more understanding technology piece comes into place so i would still definitely work with very strong 
design thinkers, but also who also can bring that systemic and strategic layer on top of, okay, we work, we're talking about this problem, but let's find out what are the a chain of problems, you know, what are the links behind these problems? So it becomes more problem-oriented rather than maybe just delighting users. Could be one success, but what we're looking at more, that's because we want to design more sustainable solution. So for those solutions to be sustainable, we need to see this healthy balance of what users want, but also how system can handle that on the long term. That is amazing. You know, it sounds like design thinking is almost like a glue between user experience design and the system thinking, right? One is led by, to your point, you know, solution and empathy. Other is led by finding the problem statements in there. Now, the question I have is, you know, from an organization perspective, how this new approach can be adopted? Who do you talk to to kind of sell or even enable system thinking in organizations? Um, I think this systems thinking and strategic approach to design is becoming more and more hype. But at the same time, the technology, I'm not sure as designers if we are in the same speed as how technology is developing. So I'm not sure if you're looking at AI, computer vision, um, robotics, and you know all aspects of this technology and how can we leverage them. Of course, the idea is not to be able to leverage and where can we use them, but also like we need to know them to be able to map them to the solutions. So that's um, that's one. So the, it's been um, my main um, target group for practice and system design. It has, you know, I work with service designers because service designers have some aspect of system design. Um, majority is there, uh, especially on design thinking and strategy. But I, you know, we talk a lot about systems thinking, which is, an, you know, a theory and approach has been out there for many, many years, been developed by, uh, you know, academics, and there's a lot of like written writing about it. Maybe the one thing that it's maybe less and less we've seen that applied into design, especially in our area of digital transformation type of design. But I think that's also like a next thing. There are the good discussions in the industry. Service designers are, you know, in a good position to do that. But I also um, notice um, there are a number of courses around the world that actually provide this um, background. And I do love three skills that's core for systems designers. So one, they're really on top of this human-computer interaction design or that's very old school, but user-centered design you skill. You know, when, when I did my computer science degree, HCI was one of my modules I did. So I remember that, but that was in 1996. Yeah, yeah I know. I, I sound very old when I say HCI. And then the second is, yes, the systems thinking, but also this the way we facilitate design. So here, designer become a little bit more facilitator. So it brings like different type of experts into room and trying to look for who are the potential partners and facilitate this conversation. So for a project like, I don't know, for, for example, for security, uh, why not working with the hackers? So really understand deep down what goes into attackers' mind when they attack a system. So I think that's the second piece. Um, and the last piece for designer to be orchestrating all the insights and knowledge. So this process is the big difference is it's non-linear. You might be um, researching one part of the system while you might be testing a concept for the other part of the system. Because as, as often what we see is there's no one solution fixes every problem in the system. That is uh, super. And, and, you know, just to kind of elaborate on this, uh, what I'm hearing from you, Noor, and, and for our listeners as well, is it's a different mindset. It's almost a different responsibility by bringing design and emerging technologies together. It's about having permission to operate in the system design space 
So it needs education and training. And this is a new breed of people, both on the client side, as well as uh, in building talent as well. Now, if I take a step further, right, and think from a macro perspective, we have been designing solutions for a long time, right? So classical design, like I said, or design thinking or computational design or system design. You know, there are many design tools available out there, many design processes available out there. What's wrong with the way we design today? I like this question. I like it because I think the way we started systems design is not really with the idea of, uh, oh, let's um, come up with something cool and let's name it. Um, especially, you know, working in the industries, you know, the buzzwords are, you know, so popular. I think the, the key um, challenge what we faced with the design or the way we design, often with the digital transformation, I think our design process has been very prescribed, kind of do this and then that and then that. That worked really well and that has been working really well. It's proven uh, methodologies and a lot of the way we do things in design um, approach is inherited from psychology. It's actually very scientific and artistic. Probably what's missing there is the way bring this technology to little bit more into that process. So this is what we what we call like sixth sense. So how can we get AI being part of that model? And how can we have that conversation with businesses without being too techy or too designy? So I think there's that approach. And another way of looking at it, it's basically the complexities are so big now, Anand. This is a really good conversation. And what you're trying to say is the world has changed. You know, things have moved on. Complexities are massive. There are too many systems with too much innovation out there. And the processes and tools we have been using might not fit for purpose going forward, right? That's what I'm hearing. I so agree with that, especially if we look at the type of challenges we're tackling in projects. So it's no longer really come and digitize my process. You know, what we've been asked now is less given. That's going to happen anyway. That's the UX and interaction design tackles and, and delivers amazingly. And uh, what type of challenges we're looking at the industry is be becoming really challenging. You know, there's a uh, you know, lot of conversation about the, lo the durability of a company's, um, how long they're going to live in the future. This is the kind of challenge the company is coming up with. Like, okay, how can I be more sustainable the way I operate? Or if I need to change the way I operate, can you help me? This is a really big question. We don't even know what's going to happen in 10 years and yet trying to find a solution for this. The complexities around the challenges the businesses are facing is one aspect. The second is the need. So the customer's need, the customer's expectations, because everything's becoming smarter and smarter. And we knew from design that people compare ruthlessly, like, uh, for example, like my local uh, taxi app to my bank, which is a 200 years old bank trying to adapt that service. A startup started last year. So this is this kind of challenges kind of get into another level of, okay, if you are offering me a service, why don't you offer me everything before and after? So it's just products and services becoming more one-stop shop. So um, Auto One is one example. Like in Germany, they launched this service where you can find a car, you can insure it on the same platform, you can get finance on the same platform, which basically takes a lot of things off the thinking list. So that's also the type of models we start seeing. The reason this model is successful because there are three different companies behind the service. There's Deutsche Bank, there is Auto One, and there is um, insurance company. So this is basically another drive why we want system design to help achieve this kind of complex, but also bringing multiple systems 
systems together to offer new services. That is super. And, and what you're saying is, means I can cite another example from my own experience, which is Uber. So, you know, I'm a big Uber user and all of a sudden in the app is telling me to order food, gone a step ahead. And now it's kind of saying, hey, can you want to control the temperature in the car? So I think there is a abundance of functionality and feature is coming together in one place where Uber has got my attention. So would you agree that they're using system design thinking or something similar? Exactly. So I think a lot of people approach design this way without maybe calling it system design. I think Uber Eats is a really good example. So you've got a service that sits on two different platforms. It might be owned by the same company or partnership, you know, regardless, user customers receives a service that is end-to-end and, it, you know, they don't really worry about other things. So the other example is Costa, for example, in the, the coffee chain in the UK. They partner with Barclays Bank to offer refilled coffee cup to make a payment while you are getting your coffee. So actually, this saves the two, like two things I love about this design. One is, um, okay, you don't have another trip to your pocket to take your cars. It saves time. Um, but it's more about refilling, you know, how much it can encourage people to refill your coffee cup instead of using, you know, other cups. So I think it's very good for sustainability. It's really, really good example. And it's no brainer, right? So Costa is a really great place to get coffee. And Barclays is the, you know, they have the, the payment giant. So you can actually use strength of these different systems and bring together a new service. That is uh, incredible. And, you know, what that shows is that thinking from a system perspective has led to that innovation. So it's not that innovation would not have happened, but rather than just saying innovation might happen one day, you're saying system connecting together can make that happen. You've talked about some examples. You talked about the Costa example. We talked about Uber example. Let's talk about an enterprise example, right? So one of the big areas for focus for emphasis and, and BB is uh, supply chain and more of the conversation we're having with large retailers, large logistic companies, you know, sustainability is top of their mind. You know, the what's happening with the plastic free world is a big big uh, part of their conversation traceability is another big uh, big part of the conversation that we are hearing from our clients you know i would love to understand an example about intelligent supply chain or supply chain of some kind where system design thinking can actually be leveraged to make that happen for supply chain, a lot of companies at the background, uh, they somehow part of supply chain or procurement. And these models, perhaps created like 50 plus years ago, and trying to serve today's need, and that's becoming quite a big challenge. When we think about systems design, and in theory, the approach of systems thinking and design thinking, okay, why not solve bigger problems? Um, I can give you one example from my previous work, what we looked at, a textile industry and supply chain uh, for fashion. With the textile industry, it's um, it's actually reported to be one of the most toxicated industry in the world right now, and, it, and it's more than petrol. So it's really environmentally not very friendly, especially fast fashion and the way, uh, you know, the dyeing process and the, and the system is so complex and complicated in a way that brands, they have no idea where their material come from so there's like tires of like layers and layers in the system so in this project we started looking at okay 
let's first understand the consequences of what's going on with the current supply chain model and talk to people who are more industry expert and environmentalist and find out what are their concerns. So this is, and also uh, really try to understand what is that people's expectation from like fashion and do they really question where the items are coming from? Do they really question if they find out, for example, if you know a piece of garments, if you know about their carbon print to the world, would you still buy it? So this is the type of research we did. This is the tangible example where design thinking, the user research and the kind of environmental research comes together. So we created this a group of environmentalist experts and technical architect clients, customers. And it was so interesting that we brought together customers who are competitors uh, or also like assurance companies. They actually check their processes so they actually you know validate their certificates so that they can sell stuff so in this conversation what happened is we applied um, a systems thinking and system design and i have to say because we've been working with very senior group and across the countries and continents and lots of travels it took a little bit time to pull together a giant system map of how the supply chain works and what are the current problems in the textile supply chain. This is from going to India, talking to suppliers, talking to people who's actually dyeing materials, talking to people who manages mills, and also asking brands within this complexity, how do you want to, like, how do, what's your plan to meet your customers' demand in the future? Because one key challenge, for example, I want to give you this example. When people dye fabrics, the water goes to to rivers and in countries like emerging uh, markets these processes are often very common low labor and maybe like uh, less policies in place and etc etc you're listening to the brilliant basics special series of the knowledge institute podcast where we're talking about future work and digital disruption i'm delighted to be joined by noor who is our head of experience and system design practice lead at brilliant basics now noor let's move on to the skills gap or skills required let's put it that way the way you're talking about system design it sounds like a hybrid skill sets or multiple disciplines coming together since the origin of brilliant basics we've always punched above our weight in terms of what we used to call t-shaped people now it looks like it's even pushing the boundaries on t-shaped people out there i would love to hear from you as you develop this practice how is the skill sets changing first of all where do you tap into for the skill sets and how do you start to kind of bring together a movement of some kind that allows this to become the norm in next few years to come it's like in any other design um, discipline you need people who love what they are doing and here what we're looking at skills that who system designer who's system designer someone who loves facilitating someone who actually tells very complicated stories in a super simple way that's a very important skills and at the same time design thinking someone who's expert in you know user-centered design and systems thinking very strategic and loves tech so wouldn't be worry about oh my god when someone's talking about ai models who actually someone um system designer would sit down and design these models but over the years what i see also so if we think about a ux person for example uh, some of them will have research background some of them will have more interaction background you know so these different breeds it really depends on nature of the people where that t the leg of that t is but overall on the top part 
systems thinking, design thinking and facilitating, orchestrating, pulling different things together and creating that connection. Um, These are the key skills I would expect from a system designer. And a starting point from my experience, what I've seen service designers are really in a good place to start. You know, a lot of grads as well. So people actually who's questioning, uh, people who love uh, and passionate about sustainability, uh, people who wants to stick on like, I want to design this and I want that things to work. So there is a purpose in their, their life. Very, very purposeful people, really passionate people who wouldn't, you know, uh, trust to leave technology to take, to right. develop. Got it. And with regards to, you know, working with industry experts in academia as well, you know, we're driving this a lot at Emphasis and BB where we're partnering with the likes of King's College London and many others. Looks like some of the young generation who are digital natives could also be your future system designers and thinkers. Definitely. Um, yes, we recently partnered with UCL as well. So what we're looking at is a young generation. They're purposeful. I think our industry is quite matured with design thinking and that kind of feels like no-brainer, but okay, what else I can do to create more purposeful services and that design actually do good and help businesses, but also like environment, also people. So this like start um, having like a lot of conversation and this becomes like people's purpose. So there's definitely, and I think an aspect of academia and a lot of development in academia as well. I always bug me the, this connection between, you know, the academic world and the, and the, and the design industry, because I also did some work with UCL at the time. But I think now and now, when we look at a lot of our work becoming more experimental and if we try to see how uh, for example we try to create this amazing system that we believe is going to be sustainable there will be like a lot of experimentation so even the our nature of work becoming more experimental and I think that's where academia can tap into get a lot of learnings write white papers get patent in place for every single project so these are the I think areas where I think there's like really great connection how can we you know work better with academics as well. Fantastic. Noor, we are towards the end of the discussion. If you have to summarize system design in a few sentences, then I'm sure our listeners will be delighted to hear from you on that. System design is a new approach to design where systems thinking and design thinking comes together to try to solve complex problems. And as this is a new experimental way of working, we collated together framework. And within this framework, which is, um, it is not linear and it's heavily on design and strategy and create process maps and systems map and brings together experts to trying to solve problem and always leads with a solution that actually um, implementable and, and scalable. Fantastic. You can find more details about this podcast on our show notes at emphasis.com slash IKI in our podcast section. Noor, thank you for your time and a fantastic discussion. And I'm pretty sure we'll go into the next level of detail in the future podcast. One of the things we do traditionally in our podcast is ask our guests to talk about a book they're reading. Uh, I'm not sure if you're reading a book or you've read a book that you'd love to share with our listeners as well. During one of my projects, I was in San Francisco and uh, my friend uh, gave me a book signed by David Kelly. So I'm actually at the moment reading his book, uh, which I I still find inspiring the way, you know, design leaders articulate different things. Although you know it, how design works, but actually, you know, refreshing that, but also finding that really detailed learnings from Stanford School, for example, the way 
way they applied. And because I have this systems design in my in my head, I always try to find the connections. Uh, I highly recommend uh, it's creative thinking. The book uh, is called Creative Thinking. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Noor, thanks for being here. How can people find more about system design practice, connect with you, and also find you? There is a um, system design practice group in LinkedIn, so you can find that. And uh, this is completely system design uh, um, advocates um, around the industry where I come together and talk about system design. And also they can reach me directly on nkaradinis at brilliantbasics.com and follow us closely. Thank you, Noor. It's N-K-A-R-A-D-E-N-I-Z at brilliantbasics.com. Thank you, Noor, for joining us today. Everyone, you're listening to the Brilliant Basics edition of Infosys Knowledge Institute podcast, where we talk about all things future of work and digital disruption. Thanks to our producer, Yulia Debari, and the entire Knowledge Institute and Brilliant Basics team. And until next time, keep learning and keep sharing.